Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Um, it's a very exciting day for us here um, in the WWDB studios. We're in our brand-new studios, I want to mention, and I'm looking out the window at beautiful Balakinwood, um, so I'm real excited for that. And also, I'm thrilled for our guest this afternoon who is joining us, and if you're in the Philadelphia area, you will know her. Her name is Madeline Bell, and Madeline is the president and CEO of Children's Hospital here in Philadelphia. And, of course, we also have our, our my co-host, I should say, Dr. Beth Dupree, who's joining us by phone at Holy Redeemer Hospital. How are you, Beth? I am good, Susan. How are you? Did you have a good weekend? I did. I had a lovely weekend, and I wanted to mention to both of you that, ironically, I spent the weekend, it was a girls' weekend, up in the Poconos, and amongst the women were three nurses, uh, one of which is the CNO of Chestnut Hill Hospital. So when I mentioned who our guest was going to be this afternoon, we, we got into a lot of discussions about the healthcare industry and, and nursing and, and where um, healthcare is headed. So they're excited to tune in today. And, and Susan, I'm not alone in my studio here at Holy Redeemer because I have a pre-med student. Gabrielle Hauser has been shadowing me all day long, and she's going to follow me back to my office to do biopsies. So I said, well, if you're shadowing me, you're shadowing me straight upstairs. And she <laughs> tells me that one of her friends, I guess, is doing an internship at uh, at CHOP, so she might even know Madeline. So oh, it's kind wow. of a small world how all these things happen. That's right. But it's all good. Yeah, it's it's terrific. Um, I also want to mention for the listeners, if they um, want to listen f- – Via our website, they can go to womentowatch.net and click on Listen Live. We also have a new call-in number, which is 888-329-3306. So if you're listening and you have a question for Madeline, we'd love to hear from you, and you can join us and, and get on the show. Um, we also have to remind our listeners, Susan, what day are we switching times? Next Monday. Thank you. Oh Monday. My is it next June Monday. 29th. It's the oh, 29th. Monday. It is, and we'll be on at 3 o'clock. So we're moving our show back one hour to 3 o'clock starting on the 29th. Awesome. You're very and good for those even, show notes. You know what? I might be able to get down there for those 3 o'clock. It's just it, this is a tough time for me to finish my surgical schedule and drive safely down there. So it's always good to have our studio here at Holy Redeemer, so I always have a place I can just pop up to. So Yeah, it is. It's it's logistically, good. it's great. Um, Beth, I wanted to ask you about your event last week at Career Wardrobe, um, which Madeline is, is very familiar with. And as we were discussing before the show all of the things that she has actually donated uh, to Career Wardrobe, which is really such a wonderful organization here in Philadelphia that provides well, I, work clothing. I got I got to learn firsthand about the organization. Um, our former, our prior guest, Emmy, was honored um, at this year's event, which was called A Perfect Fit, and their whole, their tagline was, change your suit, change your perspective, change your life, and it was an amazing fundraiser. It was um, at the uh, Wanamaker, the Crystal Tea Room, so it was absolutely beautiful, and I was, uh, 
I almost didn't get to go because I was heading to Boston to teach 48 uh, breast sur or 48 surgeons techniques on uh, nipple sparing mastectomy, and I was able to get out of my faculty dinner. Um, and spend the evening with Emmy, and then hop on the 10:45 flight to Boston. So it was a little bit, a little bit of jet setting, and you know, getting my son to drive me downtown and drop me off. But uh, the event was absolutely phenomenal. I met so many amazing women, and the stories of the women whose lives were changed through this process. And it's not, it's not just about the suit. It, they provide so many educational opportunities. Um, for women, it's a very empowering organization, and I've said this over and over again that, you know, women are really good about reaching a hand to someone else and pulling them up instead of tramping on them to get to the top. And it was very obvious with the women that were involved in this organization how committed they are to helping other women. And I left there feeling really good. I also left there with less money in my bank account because I am a sucker for fundraisers when I believe in the cause. And so uh, I can't tell you what I bought because my husband's probably listening. And <laughs> one of the things I bought is a Father's Day gift. So I uh, can't tell you about that. But I, I, yeah. did, I did snag some personal training for my partner, Catherine, for her birthday because it was a company in Bryn Mawr. And I don't live in Bryn Mawr, so I can't go to boot camp there. Um, <laughs> and uh, they did a great thing where you could uh, – f fundraising is always interesting to me, having my own foundation. I'm always looking at how other organizations do it. And, like, for $50, you could buy a pair of shoes. And for $100 – you could buy a suit, and for $250, you could buy, you know, suits for a week. So, you know, I bought the suits for the week before I realized that I was going to be bidding on these other auction items. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it's perfect to be in a city of sports in a room of women when there are certain things going on the auction block because a lot of women don't bid on them, believe it or not. So I feel like I walked away with a pretty good Father's Day gift for my husband and, their, and my boys. So suffice to say, you've probably guessed already, and it's not Sixers tickets. So, anyway, um, it was <laughs> a great night. Word. It was a, yeah, it was a wonderful, uh, you know, it was a wonderful evening. Um, just beautiful people, and Emmy was gracious and fabulous as always, and really opened her heart and told her story about how, you know, although people see her as a supermodel, um, she's had times when she really, you know, was also someone in need, and and she found that in times of need, sometimes the best way to feel better is to begin to give back. So. Um, it's just great, great stuff, great women. It was fabulous, and uh, I met a lot of the women that you and I are going to meet at the KYW um, uh, event on the 23rd, the uh, Women Making a Difference, which I didn't get to go last year when I won the award, but I get to go this year. So I got to meet all those women that I didn't get to meet last year at this career wardrobe event, and it just goes to show that we are all totally interconnected, so it's all good. It is. It's wonderful, and guess what? Philadelphia is full of wonderful, amazing women and events. And, you know, uh, Madeline and I happened to meet at the Women on the Move event, the mainline Women on the Move, which, uh, Beth, you're probably familiar with. So there's so many organizations and events going on that, um, you know, are supporting women, lifting them up, and we can't have too many. Um, I'd love to invite Madeline uh, onto the show now. And, again, we are joined by Madeline Bell, who is the president and CEO of Children's Hospital um, here in Philadelphia, something I feel very fortunate to have as a lifelong Philadelphia resident. We're very lucky to be so close to such an amazing hospital. And I have two children, and, you know, there's been moments that they've both been there, but fortunately, not you know, not for any serious reasons. So, Madeline, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, it was a tough get because I know how busy you are, and I'm really grateful and appreciative of your taking time 
um, to join us, and I have so many questions for you, um, mostly because as a show that is trying to inspire more women to become leaders, you are certainly a leader in, in the medical industry, and you have a lot of responsibility, a lot on your plate. Um, if, I, if I have my numbers correct, it's, you're, you're heading 12,000 employees. Um, it's a $2 billion um, revenue-generating hospital. And aside from that, you're on numerous boards. Um, you support all kinds of women's organizations, and women's leadership is really important to you. And what I'd like to do is kind of backtrack and start at the beginning, which is, is always a, a, a big part of what we do here on the show, and find out where you came from and why you're doing the work that you do. So I understand you, you are a Philadelphia girl. You grew up in the area. Can you talk about your growing up years and your family for a few minutes? Sure. I am um, a native of Philadelphia. I grew up in uh, the Philadelphia area, went to Marple Newtown High School, mm-hmm. and always thought I was going to end up in California, and I ended up going mm-hmm. to Villanova for undergraduate and for Penn for graduate school, so two really wonderful schools in this area. And um, from I'm the oldest of three kids, Okay. Um, kind of probably in my DNA to be a leader, as my mother always said. The oldest child yes. often is. Yeah. Yes. And... Um, Really from a very young age, I actually, my parents have a picture of me under the Christmas tree with a nurse's kit, oh, with really? a nurse's cap. I'm thinking, I'm not sure if that was my idea or their idea, but I think I was about three. Um, but for a very long time, I wanted to be a nurse and was very excited about, um, and all I wanted to do was work with children. And so it's kind of an interesting journey from being a staff nurse at Children's Hospital to being a CEO. and completely unexpected for me and when I have students who work with me and want to know my career story I say boy I wish I could have said that I mapped it out that cleanly but it was a little bit of serendipity and a little bit of risk-taking yeah well it's interesting to me that so really at you know a very young age you had the, the nursing thought in your mind and that's not often the case we you know very often we have a lot of different aspirations and hopes and dreams and then we end up somewhere so what did mom and dad do for a living well, my dad was an entrepreneur, um, had n- many different businesses and invested in a lot of different businesses. And my mother spent her career in human resources back when they called it personnel. Uh, <laughs> I remember telling my mom at one point, Mom, you have to change the name from personnel to human resources. Uh, but she spent a good part of her career, probably 25 years or more, at Sears um, and then moved to um, Delaware County in the um, Human Resources Department there. So she had a real sensitivity to working with people and relationships, and my dad was kind of the idea guy. Yeah, and gosh, that's so important, right? The, you know, the human resource piece of, of business and, and relationships, it really all comes back to that in the end. There's a lot of other things that you need to focus on, financial and, and all of that important thing, uh, all of those important things, but really those relationships are what, at the end of the day, is so important and what I know of you, you do so well. Um, what were your, in high school, what were your activities? Were you um, on student council? Were you an athlete? What were your interests then? Uh, well, it's interesting because I was involved in um, a lot of different things, some music, some sports, um, and always in the health careers club. And I remember in high school I won the award for any, for somebody who was pursuing a clear career in healthcare. So really at a pretty young age, that was something that I did even as extracurricular activities. And when you, um, so you graduate, you're under uh, graduate 
I'm sorry, excuse me, from Villanova, you graduated with a science degree. Bachelor of Science in Nursing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you went on to Penn. Yes. And when you, um, when you graduated, did you have the thought, thinking at that time that you would one day be in administrative, in an administrative role, or did you always feel that you would be um, in nursing and on the healthcare end? I think at the time of my graduation, I was so anxious to get on the patient floors and take care of patients, and I didn't really think about it beyond that point. But after the first few years, I started to ask myself bigger questions. Why are these decisions being made? How are resources allocated? Where's nursing going as a profession? Healthcare, where's the future of healthcare? And I thought, I'm, I want to be part of answering those questions and really charting my own course versus sitting here at the lunch table with a bunch of nurses saying, you know, I wonder why they do that. Well, now I'm they, and I have yes. the opportunity to influence it in a way that I hope is meaningful, um, not just for nurses, but for everyone in healthcare. Yeah, and there's so many things that, that need changing. You know, one of the things we talked about this weekend um, in, with regard to that is how much it has changed, and especially for nurses, when really their focus should be and, and they want it to be the patient's needs, there's all of these other uh, tasks that need to be done, you know, the charting and the and what what the, my friends called the note, you know, the electronic note. What do you, you know, what do you see as some of the things that can be done to help with that? Well, it's really interesting because um, our nurses have to really have very high-tech skills because they're doing a lot of um, programming of electronic pumps. They're interfacing, as you said, with the electronic health record. But you can't you lose the humanism involved with involved with people taking care of people. Right. Um, and that's something that we focus on. Certainly, the technology skills are foundational, but the caring skills, the the skills for partnering with patients and families um, are really what differentiate the people that we hire. Yeah. One of the things I read about you is that, and that you're so inept at, um, is, in a, is, is um, I'm sorry, driving change, driving change. And when it's such a big, broad picture that needs attention and change, what do you, um, what would you attribute your ability to do that Two, what are those skills that you have that allow you to really get people to come on board and not only agree that there should be change but actually make it happen? Well, I think it's, um, you know, my, my approach is to really have it from the bottom up, to really have people on the front lines being, you know, be part of making decisions, um, influencing the, the, the direction that we're going in. Um, if I'm at the top in the corner office saying this is the where we should go, just do it, it's really not going to be effective. But really the best ideas are for the, from the people who are on the front lines doing the work every day. Mm-hmm. So I do everything I can to engage them in the ideas and, if possible, support you know the implementation of their ideas. But just really getting them on board to the bigger vision and where they fit in is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not like every change, But if they understand why we're doing it and how to do it, then they can be part of making it happen. Um, So I think engaging people at every level is really critical to change. Yeah, making them feel that they're valuable and offering something. What, can you share what maybe is at the top of your list right now as one of your main goals to, to get through? Well, it's, um, 
for me, I'm in the midst of a transition. I'm mm-hmm. taking over um, as CEO, so it's certainly important for me to make sure that our organization doesn't miss a beat. Our former CEO was there for 15 years. We're one of the top children's hospitals in the country, but we're also the first in the U.S., and that's a big responsibility. So for me, making sure that we remain on top and remain an innovator, but at the same time um, being really focused on partnering with patients and families and being accessible to everyone. Yeah. You know, um, Beth, as, as you may or may not know, is, you know, one of the things that she is very focused on right now is incorporating integrative medicine with Western medicine. And she does it beautifully on many different levels, and that's what her foundation is, is about. Um, Beth, I wondered if you might have a question for Madeline regarding the integrative and how she may incorporate it or use it uh, at what level. Well, I mean, I know from my office manager has unfortunately had to have to utilize the emergency services at CHOP. Um, my pediatrician is Bob Sasson, who loves you, and uh, he's also my um, office manager's child's pediatrician, and um, her daughter has um, asthma and has had multiple trips, um, and she just said that the, the compassion and caring of uh, the staff is so palpable, and one of the first, you know, one of the first things that is part of an integrative approach to care is not forgetting the high touch when you have high tech. And so I think that that's one of the challenges that every health system faces is how do you maintain that high level of caring when you're also trying to give the highest level of, you know, state-of-the-art care um, because you don't want to lose one for the other. Do you want to speak to that? Uh, yeah, yes. absolutely. I, somebody asked me this morning um, at a breakfast meeting, what is it that we do um, that has that really gives us our high marks? You know, that he right. had a long list of people he had referred to Children's Hospital, and they all came back to him and said it was the most amazing experience. And my answer to that question is we profile the people that we hire. We make sure we hire yeah. them for aptitude and attitude. Mm-hmm. But first, first and foremost, they're there to support parents who bring their child to our hospital for hope. Maybe it's something small, maybe it's something very complicated, but no matter what it is, they're looking to us and for our staff to have that understanding and to grasp that they're there to support them through a difficult, not just with the technical skills, but with the caring skills. And so it's really about profiling the people that you hire and make sure they're on board with your philosophy. Yeah, this is how thank, we do Thank God I've, I, I haven't had to take my children to CHOP. I, I did go with um, a very dear friend of mine when her, her son, um, they're from uh, Wyoming, and they were not getting the answers to an issue that he had with his how his ureters were entering his bladder. And I don't remember all the details at this point in time, but I just remember going there, meeting with the specialist. And I went along as her health care advocate because she has no health care background whatsoever. And I just remember um, that... It was so palpable, the difference between how, you know, some places are so clinical and you, you don't have to lose the personal touch. And I think particularly when children are involved, um, you know, there's not a parent in the world that, you know, wouldn't lie down on the road and take it for their kid if they could, uh, you know, avoid some, you know, any kind of episode in their life, no matter what it is. And so to really focus on that aspect of, you know, that's the, I call it the fifth bucket of healthcare where, you know, if your HCAP scores for people who are in healthcare, they know what HCAPs are, but it's basically your public report card of how 
the people that you care for feel that you are doing your job. And that's the part that, you know, I've always, we've, we've always done well with that in our practice with our press gainy scores because we, you know, I tell my staff, every person that calls on that phone, pretend it's your mom, your sister, your next door neighbor, your best friend. Think of it as that person and feel in your heart what they're feeling because you can get very caught up in the stress of the day and forget the fact that when that person is coming to you, and particularly, you know, in pediatric cases, whether, whether it's a simple appendix or whether it's cancer, that that parent is, their heart is basically on their sleeve and it's so vulnerable. So those extra things that you do to care for the patients are even that much more important. Really well said, Beth, and it makes me think of my husband any time that we, you know, and again, there has not, fortunately not been any serious situations with our children, but times that we've had to be speaking with doctors and nurses, um, he always asks the question, what, if we have to make a choice, what would you do if this was your wife, your daughter, your son? Um, you know, it's the best way to kind of tug at the heart of the doctor even and, and have them really share what their best advice is, thinking about it as a family member. Um, so one of the things that I'm very curious about is um, you see a lot of things in this, this role um, that are difficult. Again, you know, as Beth said and stated, there's nothing more difficult than a sick child. And so we all have ways of coping with what we see and do throughout the day. And when you lie down in bed at night and, and close your eyes, what is your, I guess, what is your uh, coping, your tool for kind of being able to put all that aside to get some downtime, to get some rest, to de-stress from the things that you see and know about every day? Well, I'm, I guess after a long time, uh, I'm a bit used to the environment, and you never completely get used to some of the sad stories. But um, I'm married to a pediatrician, and um, so both of us work hard at trying to um, break away from you know, the, some of the stress of, of working in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and we say we like to spend time with people that are not hospital people. Yeah, right. <laughs> Frankly, the people who are in different industries or do different things just to kind of, uh, you know, get some diversion from uh, the type of work that we do. Yeah. Just really kind of breaking and separating yourself from yeah. it is, is probably the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a wonderful opportunity this year to give the commencement address at Villanova University, which happens to be my alma mater as well. I, I wish I would have known. I would have gone and listened. And as you were sitting and preparing and thinking about, you know, what is the message I want to to give these kids um, there's so many, you know, good life lessons I'm sure that you've learned, but was there something at the top of your mind that you thought, I really want them to walk away and know this? Well, um, it was a little difficult to, to really know where to begin, but I had written this letter to myself about five years ago as part of an exercise where I went to this women's um, in healthcare leadership uh, summit, and they had us as a way to have a template to mentor y- younger women write a letter to ourselves, And I happened to select my graduation day from Villanova in 1983 mm-hmm. as the day in history that I would select to write myself a letter. And so I almost uh, read that letter verbatim um, just to sort of, and I've used that a lot for mentoring over the years. Mm-hmm. But one of the key messages I gave to the, to the students was the importance of networking, that many times we believe that just coming to work and doing an A-plus job is enough. And that's obviously foundational, mm-hmm. but really to move your career forward and ahead, networking is really um, a critical tool. 
And it's something that I uh, can point to in my career that's really helped me tremendously. And I, what is it that, um, let me ask you this, Do you ha- have you had a mentor throughout your career that, that comes to mind for you that's really influenced your work? Yeah, I think I've had a number of mentors. Um, the dean of the College for Nursing at Villanova is still the same dean that was there when I was there oh, 35 years ago. I didn't know ago. that. Wow. So she's wow. been a lifetime career mentor for me, uh, certainly our outgoing. And a female. C- yes, and yeah. a woman, our, C- our outgoing CEO, and a couple of other key people along the way. Um, I've worked really closely with the Leader's Edge, which is a group that Mm -hmm. um, focuses on advancing women, and there are many people in the Leader's Edge who've been very helpful and supportive to me in my career development. I I understand you do a lot with uh, trying to support and educate and help uh, minority leaders in general. Mm -hmm. And is that something that was always in your heart, um, or is it something that you began to see a need for as your career progressed? I would like to say it's always been in my heart, but it's something that has been um, very special to me. I started a um, minority leadership pipeline program and actually mentoring somebody as part of that program. And, you know, our patient population is very diverse. And until our leaders, as executive leaders, reflect our patient population, I feel like we're really not able to meet the needs of our, our patients and families. And so a more diverse workforce, to me, is a strategic value Yes, and a strategic advantage. And so um, that's been just a passion for me. Yeah, and, and we talk about this a lot on the show that fortunately, and I think this is such an exciting time for women, and, you know, there are studies and, and all kinds of um, statistics now about the benefit of having a more diverse uh, leadership and so I think that's especially helpful for men who just by, you know, the way their brains work differently from women want to know those statistics and numbers in order to kind of um, lean into the idea that they should have more women in their C-suites and on boards. And wouldn't you agree? I would agree. And I hope that I've done a lot of different talks about what differentiates women as leaders and some of the things that women do to disadvantage themselves. And inevitably, there'll be one or two men in the audience who will come up to me and say, wow, I just learned so much about how to be more effective in working with women and helping to support their career advancement. So, you know, it's not just the, the target audience is just not women. It's 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 everyone. It's it's. I think it's even more important to reach the men with this with this messaging, yeah. in order for us to actually you know start to see some real change. We've certainly had a lot of firsts recently, and you're one of them. You know, being the first female CEO. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to you to be the first? It was really meaningful because we're we're we have our 160th anniversary this year, and I um, of, of our hospital, the founding of our hospital, and I just recently wrote a, a small book about um, the history of our hospital th- through images. Oh, I'd love to see that. So I spent a lot of time at the College of Physicians at our in our archives, and it was so meaningful to me to realize that women did not have a big place in certainly founding the hospital and the leadership of the hospital and seeing the portraits of all the men who've, you know, been at the helm for years. And then to think that, wow, this is a really watershed moment for us to have a a, a woman be the CEO for the first time in 160 years. So I kind of came to that conclusion at the same time as being promoted. And it was was just nice to go back in history and, and, and really understand what it means uh, for us historically. Yeah, that's. I find that to be, I love history and I love to, to go back and I think that's one of the key ways to create change and make things happen is to see why is it the way it is. 
You know, why, why uh, you know, historically we have never had, the, you know, the same number of women um, in policymaking decisions and leadership, leadership roles in CEO suites or C-suites and in these positions, and why is that? And when you look back and figure that out, you can begin to uh, change a lot of different things, change the way that women think, change the way that women find uh, the belief in themselves, that they are capable. That's a big topic. Um, it's, a, it's a big interest for me because I think that that's one of the main things that holds women back. It's certainly not um, intellectual ability or um, – you know, just they can do the same things, but they don't necessarily believe they can because they haven't seen it. Oh, it's all about confidence. It's and all about confidence. One time I had a, I was in a room of all men, and somebody pointed to me and said, did you realize you're the only woman in this room? And I said, well, I didn't until you pointed it out. <laughs> so I think having that confidence and not really seeing yourself as different and just feeling like you belong and you're not an imposter is more than half the battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beth can I love relate. The, the imposter, the imposter comment again. We've we've uh, we've talked to a lot of women who, you know, you get to a place, and I've done it myself, where I, I kind of look around, and I'm acting as the chairman of the Department of Surgery right now, and I'm, I'm now having particularly the nursing staff, um, as well as some other physicians, go like, we really like you in this role, and I'm like, but this isn't a role that I aspired to have. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I had on my bucket list to check off. It was a job that. When it became open, there was a need, and my CEO reached out to me and said, I would really like you, you know, to take, you know, take on this um, as an interim, and that's a year and a half ago. And so right now, um, it's, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling like an imposter because I'm actually seeing the changes that are happening, and uh, now it's about figuring out exactly what I want in a leadership role within our health system because there are so many ways to impact Healthcare, and Madeline, I think you 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 nailed it when you said you know that you could care for each individual patient on the floor, but when you leave the floor and you step out of the floor, although you love caring for the patients, your global impact on patient care is going to be so much more um, appreciated because you can now take what you learned firsthand and bring it back to create that um, opportunity for other nurses to have the chance to care for patients, making sure that all those other things are being, you know, considered and brought to the forefront. So um, I think it's just phenomenal. And just think, you're part of CHOP's story now, so that when, you know, the, the third female CEO is looking back at the archives and looking at the book, they're going to say, wow, that Madeline Bell, what a great chick. Aww, she was tough. Right. You know, she, it won't be a black and white photo either. She, yeah, <laughs> she's, you know, she started, started out as a night shift nurse at CHOP, and yeah. now she runs the joint. How cool is that? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm so happy to have her here. We're going to actually take a quick break. We have a phone call coming in, so we have someone who has a question for Madeline. When we come back, we will take that call. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? 
Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear, by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada, and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevadacouture.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. I want to give a quick mention that uh, you can listen to all of our shows on our podcast at womentowatch.net, and that's women, the number two, watch.net. We actually have a caller. I'm thrilled. Uh, someone has been listening and would like to speak to Madeline. Welcome to the show. Hi there. How are you? We're great. We're great. Glad you're great. listening. Hi, Madeline. My name's Kristen, and I just wanted to congratulate you on all of your successes. Um, you're such an inspiration to women, and um, just very impressive, and it's been great listening to you. Well, thank you, Kristen. I, I have a question for you. How, um, From your nursing experience, how important do you think that that clinical experience has been to the success um, you know, of the job that you're doing right now at CHOP? I think that's a great question. It's one of the things that I um, addressed in my graduation, uh, my commencement speech that I did recently. I think that being a clinician gives me empathy for the frontline team. At one point, I was in their shoes, so I can um, think about that as I make decisions and as I really try to get get their support and following me. And um, so I think that uh, having that clinical background is really helpful. Yes, I can imagine. Well, con- congratulations. It's been a pleasure listening to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for calling in, Kristen. Thank you. Beth, did you, you had a question for Madeline? Yeah, when I was doing my online research, they, it's, uh, you know, it says that you were at CHOP, and in 1983 you had been working night shift, and then you left, and it says in parentheses, for a while, to return in 1995. I was just curious what you did in that time in between. Well, I left in uh, 1989 to go to the mainline health system, and I worked in the planning and new business development department. So I took a little bit of a, uh, you know, that was really when I took a turn from being in clinical care or clinical leadership to administration. And it was tremendously helpful. I had a a great mentor there, a guy named Doug Gregory, um, really just taught me the whole other side of healthcare, like sort of the business side of healthcare. And he allowed me to do all kinds of different things when I was at mainline health. And then after about six years, I was recruited to come back. And it's the, you know, working at Children's Hospital, it's many, many people leave and come back. Very few people leave permanently. So that, that really, that call to really work with children just became um, kind of a driving force to have me go back to, to Children's Hospital. But being at Mainline Health was a great um, building block for my experience and, and um, competencies. When you left clinical nursing, was it because you were actually feeling burnt out as a caregiver or you just wanted to do something different? Because I see a lot of my, you know, a lot of my younger nursing colleagues um, kind of like they're all in and, you know, they, you know, they they get to a place where um, they just, they feel like they, there's nothing more they can do at that point because they're not really taking care of themselves enough. I didn't know if, if, you know, working night shift and and that part was something that, uh, you know, because, it's a tough. It's a tough job working at night. It's tough to be, you know, in rotating times in in your schedule. So I didn't know if that was something that had then, you know, pushed you to 
look for something else in healthcare to challenge you or just to take a break? Did you think you'd go back to clinical nursing? Um, actually, when I did administration, I always kept my hand in clinical care by doing home care nursing on the side on the ah. weekends. Um, so it was really for me just an opportunity to learn and influence healthcare in a different way, not necessarily because I needed a break. Um, but what's nice about nursing and many healthcare careers when yeah. you're a clinician is that you can you can work at many different levels. Um, I remember I used to call. Um, our home care department and say, you know, I'll take a shift this weekend or I'll see, go on a few visits this Saturday. And it was just a way for me to keep my hand in clinical care, but still um, allow me the opportunity to just learn a different side of health care. Yeah, that's awesome because you want, you know, to, I know that it's, it's very hard. I, I love certain aspects of things I do administratively, but, you know, when I get to take care of my patients and you know, see them smiling in the recovery room, having just woken up from anesthesia, saying, thank you so much for taking care of me. And, you know, it's, it's, nice, to, it's nice to have that, your patient interaction. And it reminds you, you know, what healthcare can be like. And it, it, wants you, it helps you to want to elevate the whole profession so that, you know, the patient experience is a positive one. Because in the end, it's all about our patients. It's about how, we, how they perceive us and, you know, how we provide care for them. And so I think that you're, you've had a really awesome opportunity to co-mingle your um, clinical skills and your administrative skills. And now, obviously, you know, I think you're going to hit the ball out of the park as the CEO. I'm just, I'm, 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 it's not, this is not a tough bet because of your background and everything. I think that this is going to be an amazing um, time for CHOP and um, for a lot of women executives to have a phenomenal role model like you because um, I think you might be a year older than me, barely. Um, but uh, it's just, I think it's really phenomenal that you're that you're stepping into this into this place, having come from, you know, a, a brand new nurse at CHOP to the person that's running the place, and that doesn't happen every day. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a, an exciting story. If I had written that script, I probably wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> but <laughs> and now it's your I'm, story. And I tell sometimes I tell my kids what I made when I start as an, started as a new nurse because I I remember it. Um, Clearly, it was enough to pay my rent and buy a car and, um, you know, just the growth in my career and, um, my, you know, just my personal growth over the years has been incredible. But I, I do feel like I work at a place where career development is really important and has always been. And for me, as the CEO, will always be an area of focus. I want people who come to work there to feel like, they can grow their career and stay at the same organization like I did. Mm. And um, we have lots of interesting stories of security guards going back, us helping them with their education and coming out and being a nurse or a respiratory therapist and, you know, just giving people the opportunity um, in their career to really make a completely different career shift but stay at the same place. Yeah, I love that. Well, you've, you've created culture. You've created yes. the culture of, of healing and people – People want that. It resonates with them. They, they're attracted to it, and uh, we see it in our at, at Holy Redeemer as well. That you know, people are going back to school, and someone who was a scrub tech, you know, at the beginning of their career, you know, ends up as an, a nursing administrator. You know, or some these awesome stories of people just wanting to be part of that culture of caring, and you know, our culture is care, comfort, and heal. And I think, you know, Chop probably takes that and adds one more thing. You know, cuddle, care, comfort, heal, and cuddle, <laughs> because. Right. Uh, you know, ones. I, 
Oh, there's nothing like uh, there was a little one going in, I think, for tubes. And I always like want to go in the recovery room and just say, could I be the snuggler that like gets to sit there on the rocking chair? Because my kids are 18 and 24 and they don't usually sit on my lap and snuggle like that anymore. I would love that job. If I could be paid to, to hug little ones, I would be doing that all day long. Well, you could be a volunteer and do that. I, yes, that's <laughs> yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, pe- we have people who come in and just rock babies. Yeah, I, I read that and I mm-hmm. thought that's really a job for me. I'm good at that. Um, I want to know what what is it like to and, and what is one of the challenges, I guess, of managing so many. Um, you do you have those great moments where you really make a difference in the lives of an employee. But what is one of the the things that is tough for you as a CEO in managing so many? Well, in any organization, you can't make everybody who works there happy. Right. Um, what I really want people to believe is that I'm fair and that I'm competent and that I am a leader that's decisive and can chart the course for them. But I know not every day everybody will be happy with every decision I make or the, every decision in terms of where we're going in the future. Um, but, again, I hope they will step back and say uh, she's a leader worth following and she's a fair leader mm-hmm. and she does care about the employees i want them to understand that i realize that they're an extension of me every single person and that i do um do c- truly care and support them yeah i have a very dear friend whose daughter uh, just graduated mount st joe academy and she's going to penn and she's entering nursing school and uh, I promised her I would ask your advice. What would your adv- advice be for, um, you know, a young woman just starting out, going to a school like Penn, um, academically challenging and competitive and something that she can think about and focus on that will help her uh, kind of stick with it? Well, um, first, I think that uh, for her, to, she needs to obviously do well in school because mm-hmm. we actually do pay attention to grade point average oh. because that's a differentiator, <laughs> not, not just um, – certainly the attitude is extremely important, but we want, you know, bright people who have the aptitude to learn. But I think for her, she should make sure by her third year that she either gets a good externship or summer internships and starts networking with people. And you start getting to know people at other hospitals because the transition from being in nursing school to a job is not an easy one. Mm-hmm. And I hear all the time from deans of colleges of nursing, schools of nursing, that they have these really bright students that, you know, aren't getting the, the job they want. But really just getting your foot in the door and getting to know people, getting them to know who you are is mm-hmm. really important. So in her third year, she should really focus on that. First two years, two and a half years Hit the books. Hit the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I my guess would be if you're if you've been accepted into Penn's nursing program, you already have some smarts. Oh uh, yes. Right, because mm-hmm. you know bar just, is very high. It's very high. Um, and I wonder what you, what is your take on the uh, often uh, young student, young women and men. I see this often. They're trying to determine whether to go to med school or perhaps be a PA. Um, what is your take on on the difference there, and what someone should think about when they're trying to decide which route is best for them. I think it's a matter of the, um, you know, the number of years of commitment. You know, I mentioned I'm married to a physician. My husband 
is boarded in pediatrics and infectious diseases, and he was in emergency medicine. So he he trained for a million years. I mean, yeah, a I think time. it was a very long time before he had a paycheck that was more than a nurse's paycheck. Right. Um, so the years of just the pure years of not just medical school, but of of residency, internship, residency, fellowship. Yeah, it's a um, long time. It's a long time. Incredibly rewarding along the way. Mm-hmm. But I think you really have to want to do it because the you know amount of training and the commitment involved is pretty significant. Yeah. One of the things I feel bad for the kids today, you know, the obviously the cost as well is a mm-hmm. big issue. And they come out, and not only have they spent all those years learning, but now it's years before they've even gotten to a, a point where they're, you know, earning an income. Yeah, that um, is another thing with um, medicine that's difficult is the you know, the, the costs associated with it, and especially the, the best schools are quite expensive, mm-hmm. and people come out with significant school loans. But it's a noble profession, and um, we hope that more people will go into medicine and go into nursing. Um, we count on that pipeline. But um, I think it's just a personal choice in terms of the, the number of years of commitment that you're you're willing to... What are you willing yeah. to put out? Yeah. yeah. C- can you talk about your kids? Drive. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, interesting. My kids, not all of very few have selected to be in healthcare at all. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. What are they doing? Um, so um, my oldest son actually does work for a health IT consulting company, um, but nobody's actually uh, in the profession of taking care of kids. My middle son is um, getting his master's in psychology, so mm. he will be the only person. And my youngest son is in Los Angeles right now working for a production company. Um, he's an intern. He's at, at DePaul University in Chicago. And then I married a widower, so I have four stepkids. Oh, and, oh um, wow. Yes, we raised them all together, sold our, both of our houses and put them together in the same house. And so we raised four boys and three girls. And my stepkids are um, – my stepdaughter works for Oprah, the Oprah Network. Oh, that's a great Beverly job. Hills. Yeah, yeah, what did so she she's do? she's the oldest. She is um, – the first person to be doing the um, digital media for the Oprah Network. Um, so it's a new job that was created. So for people that are on the Oprah Network, there's online um, education content that she develops. So she's most recently worked with Ariana Huffington and to develop mm. an online course with her through oh, the Oprah exciting. Network. Yeah. yeah. How did she land that job? Interesting. She actually didn't really aspire for that job. She went to Harvard for a degree in art and went out to um, Los Angeles to work for Teach for America mm-hmm. and <laughs> got to know people, ended up in a museum, working as a docent in a museum, and somebody came to her all through networking, Right. Um, networking. somebody that she had worked in community arts with and said, you know what, Oprah's starting this new online digital media program at the Oprah Network, and I think you'd be our great person to do it. Wow. And she kind of resisted because leaving the art world is a, big, is, is a big leap. And her and I spent a lot of time on the phone talking about the change in careers and what to ex- how to negotiate when you you haven't been in that industry. Yes, right. Um, so we've and I bought her her first outfit to wear to meet Oprah. And yeah, that she wore, you got to make a good first impression when there. She, when she put it on, she went into the restroom and texted me a picture of herself in the mirror. And said, <laughs> I love it. This is how I look for my first meeting with Oprah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is so exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned networking a couple of times, and I think that sometimes young people especially 
um, adults, some adults feel it, but that networking, it has some kind of negative connotation. And it really shouldn't. It's about, you know, if you, the more people you meet and connect with, the more opportunities you're going to have. And I think it's important to teach young people, especially, um, that they need to do that. They need to not only, you know, walk up to someone and shake their hand and say, hi, this is my name, this is what I do. Um, I wonder if there's any way I can help you. Maybe you can help me. It's, it's a hard thing to, um, to be able to do for many people. How do you tell your children, you know, the best way to go about it? Well, I mean, they, I, they, I tell them it's not distasteful because they think it's distasteful to exactly. just go up to somebody or to ask for something for yourself. And right. I always say you don't get what you don't ask for. So That's right. you're just not, you've got to put yourself out there. I think it's hard for this generation. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to my kids about stepping away from social media and actually making connections with people personally. God mm-hmm. love you. Making yes. phone you, calls. You, you are, yeah. Yes. Perf- that's, that's the message. Because kids, uh, I, I say to my boys all the time, please don't text your girlfriends. Can you just call them on the phone and have a conversation? <laughs> you know, actually, because people, it's a lot easier to throw things out when you're typing it than when you actually are verbalizing it, I think. And that, that art of communication, that art of direct communication is so lost. That's what I worry about, exactly what you say, that art of face-to-face communication, which can really influence people in a very different way. And, you know, I try to tell them stories about networking. I, I went to this one networking event. I didn't know anybody there. I kind of didn't want to go. It was after work. It was 7 o'clock at night. Um, the one person I, that invited me ended up not being there. Mm-hmm. And it, I was so close to turning around and just going home. That's really what I wanted to do. But I forced myself to stay. And at the end of the night, I met some really interesting people. Ended up being a really great opportunity for me personally and for, for Children's Hospital where I work. So I, I always say to the kids, every great thing that has happened to me in my life, every recognition that I've ever gotten, I can absolutely t- point to the networking event that that led to that connection ultimately. And, um, you know, I, I think they they kind of, you know, look at me like, yeah, sure, Mom. <laughs> you go try it. Right. But I think sometimes you just learn from mistakes, right? <laughs> That's what they have to do is yeah. learn from their own mistakes. Yeah. It's, it's hard for, for introvert, you know, introverts. It's hard for people that are more shy, you know. But it, what's so exciting for me, I, I love meeting new people, and you never know whether there's going to be something – personally that comes out of it or professionally and it can be either or in either way it's it's wonderful um, yeah i think that i would one of the things i say to people who are less comfortable is that there's always going to be one other person in the room that is as uncomfortable as you are right and you'll see them standing by themselves or looking uncomfortable and that's the person you go up to not the one that's got the line of people in front of them or that you know is the most powerful person that in the room that is so true yes and then that's what I did at that one event. I went to the one person who wasn't in a group of two or three people talking. Mm-hmm. And then she introduced me to a really interesting woman who introduced me to somebody else. And we ended up developing a table for that night for the dinner. Yeah. And um, But I always say to people, just you'll find one person who's feeling the way you're feeling as you walk into the mm-hmm. room if you're not comfortable. Yeah. And that's a great, comfortable way to start a conversation. You're not feeling intimidated at that point. Um, that's so interesting. My mother has always said that to me. And, and she's always done it, actually, by example. The one person in the room who looks really the most uncomfortable, she will go over and talk to. Um, and she ends up always with a wonderful story or a connection or, um, you know, a, a, a lead for someone else. 
that's one of the things that I think is so uh, great in, in any profession is when you can bring two people together for an opportunity. And the more people that you know, the more that's going to take place. Absolutely. Madeline, yeah. you, you didn't finish with the other two children and me being the seventh of yeah. seven children. Oh, I'm yeah. very sensitive. <laughs> I'm very sensitive if they drop off at number five because I'm seven of seven. So. Okay. Actually, I have three more to go. So the. Um, okay. Keep going. So <laughs> a- Amy lives in Oakland. Susu is in L.A. And there are two in L.A. right now. The youngest two. I have a sister's a- Amy and Sue. So okay. you're already <laughs> speaking my language. And Sue, uh, Amy lives in Oakland and she has her master's in, in writing and she's uh, doing translating marketing materials between Chinese and English. She's got also wow. a degree in Chinese. Very smart um, woman. And um, Chris works for a German shipping company in Philadelphia doing logistics. Um, and Sarah is graduated from GW with her degree in international affairs and is working um, in a youth hostel in Washington, D.C. So they're all doing really completely different things. What, mm-hmm. what a fabulous Brady Bunch you guys have. Yeah, yeah, when we get together, in fact, this summer, everybody will be together for vacation, and they're really interesting. My husband and I sit back and say, like, wow, they're just so much fun to talk about, with, you know, politics and world events and their view on on the world and it's also it's a way so of, diverse it is diverse and it's i it's, think a way to wonderful. keep connected yeah oh, thank yeah. god they're not in, if they were all in healthcare, it would be the most boring summer get together right. yeah. you know because <laughs> it, you know now you you have every different topic of everything that you guys can talk about and then you can choose to either digitally share it or hide it away so <laughs> right that you're in a networking group all by yourself. We are, yeah. actually. And as as the the uh, three older are married and have married really interesting people, and and we keep saying that's just done nothing but add value to the family. Yeah. You know, new wow. perspectives. It's wonderful. What I, a blessing. I'm, I'm sure that women are listening, men and women listen, but um, – and had no idea that you had that many children, number one, and obviously your role as CEO of the hospital brings a lot of responsibilities, a lot of tasks, a lot of, you know, you wake up with a to-do list. Um, How do you manage that? What's your philosophy? Well, yeah, you don't stop being CEO of the family just because you're exactly. CEO of the hospital. <laughs> That's right. Well, it was, it's funny because on my way here, I was talking to my son who's in L.A. and he's on his way back to Chicago and He's trying to pack up all his stuff after having been there for a while, and I'm trying to tell him, like, make sure you return your rental car and you get to the airport in plenty of time and go buy yourself an extra suitcase because he called me to say that not everything fits. And um, <laughs> Of course, he called you to say that. <laughs> and our, our vice president of human resources says to me, because I will take calls from my kids during the day, you know, in the middle of a meeting. If I see it's them, I'll, I'll step away. And he says, do you think your kids have any idea of what you do in the day? And I said, I don't really think so. I think they always have known and will always know that they're a priority for me, and so I will step away from anything to to help them or to talk to them. But um, And when they were all young and at, at home and we had to get them all out the door in the morning and be at work, you know, by 7.30 or 8, um, it took a lot of logistics and planning. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that is what helps you is knowing that they're okay, right? If you're, de- if you're too detached from family and children, then that's a distraction itself in the work that you're doing. But you're, you are connected, so that allows you to be, um, you know, more relaxed and focused on the work that you're doing. Yeah, I think it's, um, well, once you have children, they're, they're always there, and no matter how old they are. I mean, the youngest is 21, so they're, they're 
They're, they're grown-ups. Yeah, and um, but big, I always say big kids, big, big problems. So true. Because <laughs> they're talking to you about, you know, job offers yes. and relationships. Yes. Um, so it's uh, just a it's just a whole different uh, ball game than changing diapers and feeding. It is. That, that I heard that, you know, when my kids were little, bigger kids, bigger problems, and you really don't understand it until you have it. I have one job searching just out of school and one, you know, as I mentioned, sophomore at Drexel, and they're big life issues now. Mm-hmm. It's not about play dates. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, it's, it's, I tell my partners that when they're, you know, their stress is getting to the after-school program or, you know, getting somebody potty trained, and I go, ladies, you have no idea. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the things go exponential as the age goes up, and now it's, you know, the house and the car and the girlfriend and the job and, you know, and you just want to make, you know, you want to be there for your kids, but you also have to learn to let them make some of their own mistakes so that they, you know, they they have skin in the game at this point. And if we, as parents, you know, guide them and instead of, you know, it's that, that line between guidance and uh, decision-making where you want to make sure they make the right decision, but you don't want to make the decision for them. Mm-hmm. So that is that, that's that art of parenting that, um, you know, I hope that my partners get it because, you know, I'm very blessed, too. My kids have turned out, you know, exceptionally well, and I'm very proud of them. Um, but I think it's because I, a lot of times I let them make their own mistakes. Yeah, it's key. Listen, we are out of time, and I thank you so much for coming in and, and, and sharing your story with our audience today. I know how busy you are, and I wish you much success in this new role. I have no doubt that we're going to see great things for the hospital. Well, thank you. It was absolutely my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Beth, have a great rest of the day. I will. That's it, everyone, for Women to Watch this week, and we look forward to seeing you next week.